Welcome to The Looking Glass, a podcast exploring the relationship between people and their creativity. I'm Neil Cowley, and this week we're talking to singer-songwriter Holly Walker. In recent times, Holly has become widely recognised for her work as singer and collaborator with Marabou State, co-writing many of their hits from the two most recent albums, Portraits and Kingdoms in Colour. This culminated in memorable appearances at Glastonbury and the Secret Garden Party, as well as extensive tours of the US and Europe. Having turned her attention to her all-consuming solo project, Holly has spent the last six months in her own self-imposed lockdown, honing a new collection of songs. We catch up with her at her studio from her home in North London. This episode was recorded in May 2020. Yeah, when we were setting that up there, you were highlighting a problem that I have um, and that a lot of, um, you know, faffy, overly <laughs> graceful creatives have, which is I don't understand how these three prongs go in the wall. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a disease that besets you the moment you go anywhere near a stage or anything creative. Yeah. Um, and uh, funnily enough, I've been, I don't know if you've come across him. There's a guy called um, Ian McGilchrist. He's a, a, a professor. He lives up somewhere in the Highlands. Um, and he's done some really interesting talks online where he talks about the two sides of the brain. Mm. You've got the right side and the left side. And, he, and his book is called The Master and His Emissary. Uh, and he's, he talks about how he believes the creative side is the, um, is the master. Um, mm. I think that's your, I didn't write the book, but I think that's your left side is, yeah. is the master. And, um, he talks in depth about how the left side is, is open to, um, it's open to new and revolutionary things. And the right hand side is there to sort of keep you in check and ensure your safety. So as an example, he cites, let's pretend you're on the other side of the, I'm ranting on here. I hope you don't mind. I love it. <laughs> so he's, he's, he cites that he says, imagine that, uh, if you're on the other side of the world and you're in a strange room, like say a hotel room. Yeah. And, um, which I'm sure has happened to both of us. And you hear a strange room in the, a strange noise in the bathroom. Total fear. And as you, and, exactly. And as you get up, as you get up in the dark and you, you make your way towards that room, you're, your left-hand brain creates all the things that it could possibly be. So it could be a dragon, a ghost, <laughs> a monster, an ogre, a burglar, all these things. And by the time you get there, it's computed all that information. It's served it up to your right-hand side. Yeah. And by the time you, you put your arm around and turn the light on, your right-hand side has ascertained exactly what it is until you get right to that problem. And there you find it's uh, something that's just fallen off the shelf. Yeah. And then it all makes sense. Um, and that kind of how you take on new... That's how you take on new material. How you take on new things is you 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 digest it in this way. You you you're available to all the possibilities, and then yeah. your right hand brain goes, "Actually, it's really boring. It's just going to make it boring." Yeah, but it's um, it's funny that we still well, I do anyway as an adult entertain the the idea that it could be a dragon <laughs> or a ghost or a ghost because we don't have any like we don't have any information. Sort of previous experience to say that well, it's been a dragon before, so it could be again, and yet exactly. we continue to think, but maybe this time it is. And and we we create grown up dragons, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is why I sleep with the light on in hotel rooms when I'm on the other side of the world. Yeah, total. Do you actually? Yeah. I can tell by the way you're moving your eyes, you actually mean that, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. The the <laughs> the the Marabou boys used to come, take the piss out of me because I would. Um, build a booby trap in front of my hotel door (laughs) every night like in case someone tried to come in the room so I'd like tower up loads of stuff so if someone opened the door it would all knock on the floor and I'd wake up no, I mean paranoia, major paranoia. Oh, wow. yeah. I love the way that you say that with a big smile on your face, like you're sort of you're okay with this, that you're used to this about yourself. Right? Oh, it's it's just pathetic, but I can't, but yeah, I just I just roll with it. I mean, we we had an interesting conversation on the way here, which which in itself is a delicate it's a delicate conversation because we discussed that you're not you're not overly comfortable with this kind of thing. I mean, bless you for talking to me, but it, you know the irony of that is. It makes you a, a, a perfect candidate to talk about this because I think anyone, anyone's idea of a singer, for instance, would be someone mm. who just likes to go on about themselves, really wants to talk about <laughs> themselves. Yeah. And yet I find the best artists I've met are the ones that 
actually, strangely, this is the most alien thing. They really, really don't want to reveal any of themselves. And in a way, the whole artist performance and the artist guise is in a way of making sure you put as many things in the way as possible. (laughs) So revealing that. Do you feel that you fall into that category? That's so interesting. Um, I, yeah, I I, mm. I suppose I've never really thought about it like that. Um, but I definitely fall into the category of having massive stage fright, massive fear surrounding, uh, yeah, people discovering things about me. Um, mm. When I started performing, I used to get so frightened that my body would actually start trying to go to sleep. Do you ever do you ever get this the yawns when you're really scared? <laughs> yeah, really badly, yeah. Oh, that's great. It's the yeah. worst reaction because it's like it's the opposite of what you need. You need this burst of energy. You want to you want to bowl on stage like looking <laughs> like you own it and instead you're just a sleepy little mouse like I'm sorry I recognize this so so sharply I'm I'm struggling to contain (laughs) it's so it's so annoying and I used to get that so badly I'd literally be sitting on stage like just me me and my keyboard when I used to do gigs like that um and I'd be in the middle of a song just thinking I've got to go to sleep like I'm You just spat water. Uh, yeah, I'd just be like, I've, I've got to go to sleep now. I can't, I can't take any more of this. So I used to get that really badly. I definitely think touring quite relentlessly mm. uh, helped help me conquer it. And now I would say it's the opposite. It's like when I'm on stage, I feel very free. I'm very, wow. very empowered. And when I'm but it's like waiting to go on stage or when I've come off stage uh, afterwards and there's people around trying to chat to you and stuff, that then I just feel completely vulnerable and exposed and terrified. Really? Yeah. And I'd like, I'm like, can I go back on stage, please, so I don't have to talk to you? <laughs> Is that because you're controlling the environment on stage? You have some sort of semblance of control? I mean, I... I, I, I... I don't really like crowds, but I quite like no. watching them. Mm. Do, do, you, do you? Are you one of those sort of voyeurs from on stage? <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Yeah, I, I like, and you, you know, you are in a position of power when when you're up there, and you feel that you can conduct conduct the crowd. And the the better you get at that, mm. the more empowered you feel. You you said you said back then when when I first started. Now I I I don't believe I know how or when you first started. I, I'm imagining. I'm just I'm just sort of uh, I'm going to make a prediction mm. that there is some sort of instrumental, probably piano uh, training of some kind. But yeah. Uh, so going right back, yeah, I learned I started learning the piano when I was seven, um, and did all my grades. Did like classical piano. Did you do what, all your grades? I did all my eight? grades. I did my grade eight, yeah. I didn't. Did you I not? Didn't. No, I, <laughs> what? I stopped, I stopped at seven. You I imposter. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, you said I thought I thought the whole point we weren't going to reveal things about you. Now we're revealing things about me. I don't <laughs> I know I didn't. I didn't do grade eight. Why? Well, what you, happened? What happened? Well, well, <laughs> I, that makes you better than me. I'm sure it does in the in the, the eyes of the associated board. Officially I'm sure better. <laughs> Officially better. What happened was um, a rebellion kicked in. Um, I was uh, I I suddenly had a piano teacher. I think firstly he didn't really care too much about the grades, and secondly um, I joined a band by that point, and I went ah oh, sod this. And and just at that point I lost I lost that drive to play classical music to that nth degree still in me i still love it and i'm sure i'm sure you know i i don't know i just i just rebel badly but you yeah. did them all that's impressive yeah. yeah yeah i'm i think i did rebel after that because i went from you know practicing every day to just doing absolutely nothing and how how long did you practice a day at your best at your peak when you were most interested uh oh, so hard to remember i don't think i ever did more than an hour a day all right uh, but you see, I do. You do strike me that there are similarities between. I find this a lot of people who've been dragged through a 
classical education. I mean, <laughs> a, a class- edge backwards. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, my 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 mum uh, forced me to every day was an argument about doing yeah. piano practice. Um, you're nodding as if that was a thing. Yeah, Is that a thing same. in your house? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm. So I think um, I see this with um, ballerinas. I see this with all sort of sort of classical musicians that they tend to have the sort of the twitch, um, <laughs> and 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 um, it's. It's. I, I think it sets up in you a neurosis which makes you feel as if you're never quite good enough. Yeah. Oh, massively so. Mm. Massively so. Because from the very beginning, you're being told, um, here's Beethoven, here's Bach. You'll never accomplish this, even in your wildest dreams. And so mm. now you can go away and have a little go at it if you want to. But um, yeah, you. that's from the beginning. That's, that is the sort of, and I don't, I mean, maybe that's, a, maybe that does as much good, good as damage because it does, you know, give you high standards. But when, I mean, when you're doing that hour a day, was there someone around saying, you know, you must, you must do this? Yeah, but no, but you know what? My, my mum said to me years before that, oh, you, you, you can give up the piano if you want. It's fine. My, I, do, I don't have pushy parents. They were, they were both pretty chilled actually so my mum helped me she would sit next to me and be like come on let's do it but she always said you can give up if you want to so I actually do think that the comp you know the person I'm trying to please is myself it's definitely a competition with myself and 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 the and the, the singing when did the singing apply itself was this something you started doing communally with choirs and things like that or or did that come from some other angle I always sung at home my my family all sing, not in any kind of professional capacity, mm. but all of us sing, like all my cousins and aunties and uncles and everyone, um, just normally, just round the house, in car, long car journeys, uh, you know, you'd be driving off on your summer holidays and we'd just sing for hours on end, like it, and do all the harmonies. And I didn't, I never thought it was weird um, until I grew up and realised other people didn't have that experience. <laughs> But I think that's marvellous. Don't you think that's a beautiful thing? I, now, I, I'm so grateful. Yeah, my mum, it was my mum. She taught us all these folk songs and like old English songs. Um, oh, really? Yeah, and that she had learnt at school. She had her own, her old school songbook. Um, and she, my mum plays a bit of guitar and she she taught taught us all of those songs. Um and yeah, I did, we just didn't think anything of it. It was just completely normal. Um, yeah, sang sang at school as well. Always like put, you know put myself forward for the solo and stuff. But I didn't. I wasn't having lessons or anything. I just liked doing it. Mm. Um, and then I started singing in a band when I was about seventeen. So it seems to me like your relationship with your with your voice is is a, is a constant. And and actually, it it, it may be you're me perceiving that you sort of maybe sort of uh sometimes struggle with it in the way that I do I mm. mean I, str- I struggle with my with my uh piano playing I struggle with it as a as a as a as a thing the, recently I've struggled with the, how it, how it's had a hold over my life mm. um or rather I I stepped away from it so I could understand what that hold was um and I discovered that um I'm there's no getting away from it I mean the, the piano, <laughs> yes the, I love that but the the piano the piano was thrust upon me as a child. I clearly had a talent for mm. it, um, um, and my mother wasn't going to allow anything to get in its way. Um, so she would get cross with me, and she would make me do all this practice. Um, and I just at the point when I was resenting and hating it, uh, a friend of hers came along at work and said, "We're starting a soul band," and um, I was liberated through soul music um mm. i was introduced into a band they were in their late 20s and i was in my uh, i was about 13 or 14 and um they introduced me to all this new music which i hadn't heard before uh and i was introduced to going out late and going to pubs and all these things and it was a whole new life and so it signified my my rebellious stage and, and music then became the vehicle yeah for that consequently actually and i think we've we've discussed this once whilst walking along the road i think you and i find um the nicest, the nicest, most happiest music in the soul area of life. I, th- I think. Well, I, cer- I certainly do. Speaking for myself, totally. If, 
yeah, I mean, if I'm going to listen to a nice tune, and what what's the music that I would like to write that would manifestly uh, represent my happy place? It would be soul music. And I always, as soon as I sit down at a piano or a keyboard, I play soul music. I play soulful chords. Mm. Uh, and it's only when my brain kicks in that I start writing this melancholy nonsense that, that just that, that just sounds like a neurosis. Oh, I love that. That's yeah. so uh, interesting. But I think you I think you 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 alluded to the fact that perhaps you might have this same thing. I think a lot of a lot of voices come in when I'm uh, and a lot of a lot of questions about who I am. I think I think I I I struggle with my identity as a, as an Englishman. You know, like I'm an <laughs> Englishman, and therefore I'm from these islands, and I need to say something that is of these islands yeah. and is of my experience. Yeah. Um, and I wondered if you, knowing that you're a bit of a soul girl as well in there somewhere, mm. I wonder if you also have this conflict and conversation. Oh, so strongly, and I think that's so interesting about when about the chords that you lean towards before you started thinking and then how, because that was a huge problem for me for years, trying to get over the classical music training. Um, and because, yeah, blue, it's blues. It's blues chords that just feel right and blues mm. like licks when you're singing that feel right. Um, yeah, and you're really good at them. When, no, but I mean, I've heard, I've heard your inflections. I heard uh, you, you are, you're a, I think you're, like I say, I think you're a soul girl. And I think you, you, what you say there about trying to, I was trying, I've been trying to untangle my classical music education. I still am. Yeah. So that's a bit weird, isn't it? Because it's given me all my technique and all my grounding, and yet I'm trying to disassemble it left, right, and centre, and get to something pure and soulful and of myself. Because it's so cerebral. Um classical music you know that's like uh it's almost mathematical a lot of the time and it and you're taught it in that way as well um so there's no you're never there's no mention of instinct you know yeah. or just feeling it out it's it's right or wrong uh, it's prescribed isn't it it's very prescribed it's written on the page it's prescribed yeah exactly it has to be this way there might be a tiny bit of room for you know, tempo change or whatever, but ultimately you just have to do it like that. And, uh, yeah, I struggled with that for such a long time, trying to write, um, trying to write pop songs, but, but being so sort of disgusted with myself for using simple chords or repeating the same three chords all the way through the song that just felt like this crime, you know, like, how could you be so boring? I'm interested in, in how you, how that process happens for you. So as you say, you sit down at a keyboard and you might write something and then you're you're battling with how clever it should be or how clever it should not be. Mm, you might, yeah, you might sit down and play gospel chords or sit down and play blues chords and write a re something really, really soulful and then think, but how does this connect? Is this just a parody or a, not a parody, but a, you know, just kind of a cheap ripoff of something someone else's culture something yes how yeah. do i how do i find something quintessential and and really truthful but but i see i think because i went to saw your gig in hackney recently and i think you achieved that um but i think that because i said i texted you afterwards and i think i said i th it's just the most intelligent pop which i think is one of the most wonderful things to achieve intelligent pop but it's 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 just a shame it has to be so painful in order to get there yeah i you know i recently i don't want to speak too soon touch wood i've recently found a fluency um in writing which is uh -huh. which over the last um, kind of nine, six to nine months of writing, because that's all I'm doing at the moment. Mm. And I've never had that in my life. I've never, I've never given myself that time. Well, I had, I had the opportunity to just take that time and just write every single day and play every single day and sing every single day. And I'm, it's been so delightful doing it because I've found a fluency and a fluidity to my writing, which means that I am finally not in my brain all the time when I'm writing and I'm, it's just happening. And all of those influences and things that you take on um, intellectually, 
you know, like it has to be this, it has to feel like a like a London record and it has to, all of that stuff that you, it started to just naturally happen. Now, why is that? Is that the lockdown, by the way? <laughs> it's definitely ha- hasn't been, uh, hasn't been hurt by the lockdown. Um, but I was already in personal lockdown for six months before this happened. I really have barely have left my house. Um, really? Yeah. That's, I just wanted to do it and I finally could do it I had you know I had enough money to to do it and uh a a flat with a with a a spare room that I've turned into a studio that's fascinating you happy to talk about this six months because that's really really interesting okay all right so so you say you had enough money to do it yeah it's almost like this is your gift to yourself then massively so and I and I think it's really important to say that because I think people make it look so easy. Like when you look at other people's careers and, and you know, it just looks so easy and uh, it looks like everything just kind of fell into place and they just sit down at their instrument and it all tumbles out. And actually I think a huge part of it is having a a physical space and some time to actually do it. So what? So what was? So what were the things that were interrupting? I can't. I haven't met anyone who's had a pre pre lockdown lockdown for six months. That's, oh, yeah. that's fantastic. So what was it? What were the things that were stopping you access that place before you had this self imposed lockdown? Then, um, truthfully, just money. Didn't couldn't afford to do that. Always had to work, you know be working and, and touring and doing shows and. And so you were trying to achieve, as I understand it, you were trying to achieve a, a place of immense peace. Exactly. Complete, complete silence. No interruptions. I've I've also come off all social media for that oh, the whole time. Mm. Total heaven. Um, that, that, sorry, that, 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 I mean, who's had the bravery to do that? Because that's, a, that's, I know it doesn't sound, it sounds like the most natural thing in the world to come off social media. It sounds easy, but mm. it's not easy, especially if you're an artist. It's not easy to do that. It's, How did you do that? It's just like one day, that's it. I just, yeah, I didn't even, you know, I didn't even do a farewell post. Um, I just had, I couldn't take it anymore. I'd had, I just had enough. And I knew, I, I had witnessed myself attempt to be creative and attempt to write my album whilst also touring and being on social media. And I, I had, I had observed that my creativity was so stifled by it and that I was I felt so drained by it and so my concentration span was so tiny and and I just felt like yeah I I just knew it was a huge distraction was it was it a permanent comparison that you could you could access to everyone else's supposedly perfect life yeah it's that and and Everyone else's creativity, people, it always seems that other people are just releasing music left, right and centre and they're, and that's, that's paralysing. That's paralysing. You feel like you can't keep up. You're, then you feel like an imposter. Well, if I can't keep up and that's the, that's the culture and that's the industry, then I'm obviously just not made for it, you know. Um, I mean, it's a it's a permanent environment where you can you can literally compare your timeline to everyone else's, and timeline's a big one. I mean, you know, in in this game, you, I remember saying when I was eighteen, "I'll give this till I'm 20. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious! <laughs> <laughs> and then in my mid twenties, going, "Well, I'll give this till I'm thirty, and then I'll, that's it; it's gone." You know, and and here I am, you know, <clears throat> seven years old, and. Um, uh it's that's the most ridiculously stupid thing yeah um and as i think we've we've discussed here before i I think you know my ambition is to do this until the day i drop if i achieve that then i'll have achieved my goal exactly the same there's no yeah Yeah. i I, I haven't got anything better to do that's the that's the reality what else am i going to do with my time i can't Mm. think of one thing i think even more than those elements which, by the way, are quite insidious. I don't. I think it's quite hard to tell that that's what's happening. You know, you don't necessarily go go on social media and then 
recognize and acknowledge, oh, I feel like shit now. It's it's much more insidious than that. It's it, oh, I agree. it creeps up on you. It's a creeping sensation of total dread, which mm. you don't realize where it's coming from. Um, but even more than that, I think it's the it's the reduced concentration span. Because then when you do give yourself a day and you don't check social media and you go and you try and do something, you've, your brain is just a big puddle of mush. Yeah. That was my experience yeah. anyway. Well, because I, um, I actually have a very manifest problem with social media and the phone use, which I, I find mo- it's sort of symbolic and real, which is my thumbs bloody hurt. <laughs> That's so bad as a pianist. That's well, it's terrible. Well, so, I mean, I, I do have, um, I'm looking my thumbs at you through the screen, RSI. I do have RSI on my thumbs. And I excuse, and I say to myself, well, it's a business thing. I mean, it's just it's just the nature of business these mm. days. I have to email and stuff. But it's bloody awful. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, 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 so it's, it's sort of interfering with my my brain and my mental health and it's also interfering with the very tools that I use to to create in the first place yeah because it hurts when I play oh um, see that I mean come on that is the universe telling you something it really is I mean you know it's like it's like being a smoker and saying I can't understand why I, hack. <laughs> I have this hacking cough in the morning <laughs> I, I nearly die over the sink every morning now I, it must be the garlic I had last night or something you know whilst you're lighting a bag a yeah <laughs> I mean, you just lie to yourself. You lie to yourself. Singing is so fundamentally a part of me. It's not something I think about. It's not something I would. I wouldn't list it as like one of my, you know, things that I enjoy doing. It's just as normal and as part of my life as I can't think of a better example, you know, just as like sleeping, drinking tea. It's just, it's just that intrinsic. But that, that's precisely why I've invited you to talk on this because I recognize someone who cares so deeply about what they do and I think that that is an entirely different burden from someone who thinks I must make money from this or I must be successful at this mm. in commercial terms or I must I must prove everyone wrong with this. I think you care so much about singing as I care about the piano yeah. or what music what music does and what music is. Mm. And I'm I guess I'm trying to decipher what what that does and what what that does to one's life in your in your decision making are you are you permanently trying to protect that music within you yeah yes god that's yeah that's so accurate um Mm. yeah trying to shield the sort of purity of it um trying to not let anybody spoil that or destroy that because it's, you know, it's the most precious thing that you have, really. Uh, so you're right, and there's definitely a conflict when you try and commodify it. Mm. So it's a it's a jewel <laughs> that you're protecting within you, then. Yeah, that that feel. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Neil. That's exactly it's <laughs> exactly what it is. <laughs> no but that's so true that really rings true it feels like that and it feels more yeah you oh just it just sounds just pretentious but i do sing for myself you know yeah of course of course well don't we all i mean but that's that's the permanent dichotomy with it isn't it yeah and and again social media is a terrible place for that because it's constantly telling you that the only form of success is 30 million followers yeah yeah. That, that's the only form of success, and yet, and then all of a sudden, you know, five, ten years down the, the thread, we're struggling to remember who those people were who had thirty million followers, and and then and then something called music then emanates from that past, yeah, and, and music comes through and reminds you when it was good and how it was good, and and perhaps we didn't really see it at the time, so there is that playing in your mind, I think, sometimes. Yeah, totally. 
I, I, th- I think you're really hidden. I, I don't want to get. I don't want to. I don't want to get. Don't make soon. me cry, Neil. No, I don't want to promise. <laughs> <laughs> well, I might have to. No, I, I, I'm interested as to as to why you you do something that actually is so ultimately public, mm. and then you ask, you have to present something <sighs> that is that is. Everyone, that, I mean, how do you deal with criticism? Terribly. Yeah. <laughs> Terribly. I take it so to heart. I ha- I mean I haven't had to deal with it yet on a on any kind of significant scale because I haven't even put out an album yet. Um but Well that that's an interesting subject because um no you haven't have you? You haven't put out an album yet. And yet I mean no, don't pull a face. Don't pull a face. <laughs> no, <it's fine. laughs> and yet you you have you have a huge amount of amazing material. You've had huge success with Marabou State, with everything you've written with them. I mean, you know, people love your voice. People love your songs. Don't look at me funny. You're looking at me funny. <laughs> no, just like- but you did say to me, you did say to me just recently, mm. I've got, I've got, a, a, I mean, I think it's the result of this six months you're talking about. Yeah. I've got a, 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 a collection of material here and I'm ready to go now. Yeah. Does it feel like it's the right time? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I've bloody written it. I've bloody written it, haven't I? <laughs> but that, but that, but that, but that, that build up of expectation in yourself—that's that's a hell of a big one on your shoulders, isn't it? it? Yeah, it was, and it was driving me a bit crazy. And I think some we've had conversations where mm. <clears throat> you, that craziness was starting to uh, starting to reveal itself. Um, <laughs> I, I had placed so much emphasis on it. Uh, and so much pressure on myself to make it incredible uh, that I had succeeded in completely paralyzing myself to where I I was like, I can't, I can't do it now. I've left it so long. I've been writing and rewriting it for so many years, different songs, take them through different, you know, loads of different renditions of the same song and then eventually throw that song away and then start again and it goes on and on and on and you think, well, I've, I've just put so much into it now and I'm so desperate for it to be, to be really good that it's almost impossible to, to finish it and release it. But I think what I feel, and you know, I'm sort of hesitant to say this cause I haven't actually finished it yet, but <laughs> so I'll probably eat my words, but what I feel is that I've let go of a of quite I've shed quite a few um just superficial uh hang-ups that that maybe were plaguing me a bit before. I've just let go of them because I think maybe it just happens, you know, with age or or, or maybe it's just after a certain amount of time, you're just free. You've you've liberated yourself because all the deadlines that you may have imposed on yourself. Well, you missed them. So now you've missed the deadline. Just do it. You know, there's not, there's now nothing you fit. It's almost like you think, well, I've already, I've already messed it up. I've already fumbled it. So, and, and you know, like in a gig, yeah, you, I'm sure you found this when you, when you mess up near the beginning, you're really nervous and you, you, something goes wrong. You have to start a song again. And it's like, everyone heaves a sigh of relief and then you just play the best gig of your life. Totally. Because you've already fumbled it. So there's nothing to lose now. And that's how, (laughs) that is how I feel. Yeah. I love that feeling, that liberation of, of I fucked up. There's no way that that I've done it all. Maybe you should start all your gigs in future by just, (laughs) just fucking fall on my face. Yeah, I do. I think it's, it's brilliant because you realize that it, it, it never mattered in the first place. And mm. there's all kinds of quotes on there about how, you know, the amateur takes it too seriously. And um, if you... Uh, uh, I haven't heard that one. The amateur takes it too, too seriously. seriously. Yeah, you know, you, the difference between an amateur and a professional is that an amateur takes everything far too seriously. And the moment you cross over into being a professional is the moment where you realise it's it's a craft like anything else and you just have to mm. get on with it and do it and mm. stop being so precious. And that and and that's when you actually get good at it and, and can produce something good. Um 
So really, I think, you know, the likes of yourself is you're being paid to go through the agony of it and, and reveal your sensitivity and show, you know, show your, show your pain with it. But, but then the question is how much of that are you prepared to show? Mm. You're right. That's the question. And sometimes you can sort of, you know, berate yourself because you think I haven't actually, I'm thinking about live live gigs more than writing now but you haven't actually committed to it as much as you could have or should have because you know because mm. it's just really hard to do night after night to actually mm. properly embody it and feel the feelings um mm. um you know i suppose actors and all performers have the same thing i'm interested in whether that's the same obviously you don't sing but Oh, you're, yeah. when you're emoting through the piano, does that? Do you think that feels the same? Same as as emoting as me emoting with my voice. Um, my my process is uh, I I I want to I want to convey something emotive in me and deeply emotive, and yet I I actually manifestly go through. Uh, uh, a conflict my right hand side my right shoulder because i i used to um play always play with my right hand side to the audience my right hand shoulder would lift up and try and hide my face protect you oh yes. bless you oh that's so that's so <laughs> sweet just shield so, yourself so consequently i've got this twisted spine i look like richard the um, third <laughs> that so adds to the, your pathos <laughs> i've got the withered arm <laughs> And the, and the right hand shoulder, um, and I would that right hand shoulder would denote where I was at with the audience. It would certainly start there if I was nervous. Yeah, it was up high. Yeah, and I would I would want. To, isn't that bizarre? I mean, how stupid that I'm 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 at a live concert. I'm 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 there to entertain the people who've come to see me, and yet I'm trying to hide from them so that I can do something private over here. Yeah. Which in turn I know they're going to hear. Yeah. But I can only I can only access it if I if I protect if I just sort of shut them out for a bit and I protect myself from them for a bit. Yeah. Um. And now if if the show started to go well and I started to get a bit cocky, then the <laughs> then the right hand shoulder would come down. And I might even start swaggering a bit. Um, and then actually the whole thing might tend to become a bit comedy. I might then start to send myself up. Mm. So really the bit that I think is the most important is the bit where I've got my shoulder up. Yeah. That in turn makes me play in a very constricted way. Yeah. So I don't, I'm not free flowing when that's happening. I mean, it's bad practice to be sitting there twisted like that. Um, so I play much less, but when I do play, I'm kind of crying. It's almost like a, it's like a, um, every note feels like I'm pulling something yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pulling something out and I'm, and I'm, I'm laying it out there and, and I'm almost frightened to play. But when I do, there's enough technique in there to sort of pull it out of the piano. Mm. Um, and then, you know, if you get a little bit more confident with it, I suppose you start to play the room and you hear the silence and you can almost hear everyone breathing and then you sort of use that. Yeah. But it's, it's essentially I'm trying to let people in on a private moment in a public place. Um, yeah. And that's a, that's a screw up. See, oh, that's so fascinating because I am just thinking about it now and I feel the kind of the opposite when I'm, when I do perform with my keys in front of me um or even just a mic stand in front of me I feel obstructed like I feel there's an obstruction between me and the audience and I'm at my most comfortable performing when I can just hold a microphone and go to the very front edge of the stage and get as close to people as I possibly can I, it's almost like then it's a real human exchange and it feels like a just an actual conversation, an actual dialogue. Whereas, and and that's when I feel, yeah, most relaxed about it. That's amazing. I mean, everything that we've said up to this point wouldn't suggest that that's where you'd be most comfortable. I know. What? I don't know. So your, 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 <clears throat> your privacy one would assume would be completely compromised by going right up to the audience mm. and delivering it like that. 
Yeah. And yeah, it's not. It's not because... Is that because it's, it's, it's just the voice? It's the, it's the voice that's... It's the music that's in control, perhaps? It, it, I think it's because I like one-on-one interactions with people. I That's where... Huh. That's... That is where I feel most comfortable. You can... You know, there's more trust there and you can really... You can really gauge what's going on in the interaction. Um... And so if I look out, if I'm stood at the back of the stage and I and there's loads of equipment between me and the audience and there's lights in my face and all I can see is just a kind of seething mass of faceless people, that's frightening. That's nightmarish. Um, I agree with you. Whereas when you can, I never want, some people want the lights in their face so they can't see people. I, I'm the absolute opposite. I want the lights mm. on the audience so I can see people's actual faces and be like, oh, there's a, there's a person. <laughs> There's a mm. real bloke. I think that's that, that's that. Yeah, that's again that one-on-one interaction. That's that, that's kind of how I feel. I, I do feel that. I feel. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, what the first first gig I ever saw was Chris Rea at Wembley Arena in like the, oh god, god knows what who? year in the in the dark. I'm, Who's Chris I'm Rea? sorry, who is Chris? Rea? Oh, sorry, driving home for Christmas. Do you remember driving home for Christmas? Oh, yeah. okay. Remember that? Or um, Very, what was his other? Oh, he's got loads of hits. Vaguely, what, or um, fool if you think it's over. You know that tune. No. Elkie Brooks covered it. Wow, <laughs> age. I'm sorry, age. I don't, but yeah, no, my age. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I saw him at Wembley Arena, driving home for Christmas tour, and we, uh, <laughs> the guys, the guys with knew the bass player, an Irish guy called Owen, and he said, you know, my mate who wasn't a musician said, how, how on earth do you? go out there and do this every night. And, and and Owen said to him, I just find one person in the audience and I play to them. Yes. I I, I saw you um, play up in Hackney and my perception of your gig was very different from yours, I think. I'd quite like to touch on that because um, um, I, I, think, I think you didn't enjoy it as such that particular night. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Is this the Oslo, my Oslo gig? Yeah, yeah. I think you sunk a bottle of wine. Beforehand, and it, a whole oh my god! Well, maybe not a whole bottle. Yeah, I think I was very anxious, and yeah. um, there was quite a lot of technical stuff to think of as well, That's which is great. always a complete. I hate that, uh, and I and just because you know, uh, me and my band just hadn't done. We'd only done one other gig, or maybe two other gigs, so. You're just not at ease with it yet. It really, you really feel uh, like you're still feeling it out. I think you felt you. You said you felt you were disconnected from it, um, and you felt almost like you were watching the gig from somewhere else. Oh, way. that's you- right. That I was so, I was so nervous. Now I'm remembering that I really did have that out of body thing where I was sort of watching myself from above, being like, "Oh, lucky you know the lucky you know how the keys go," because. You know, yeah. just seemed to be. Yeah, I, I didn't. It's so annoying. I hate it when gigs are like that. Also, playing and singing at the same time for me is. I mean, it's just quite hard. <laughs> I, f- I found it quite encouraging because um, I, I was encouraged. It's, it's always good to remind oneself as a as a performer that what you see and what other people see are two totally different things. And I and I I would pride myself on feeling qualified to 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 assess your gig from out there and go well, that's a good gig or that's a bad gig. Yeah. And did I enjoy it or did I not enjoy it? And why didn't I enjoy it? And I enjoyed it and I really enjoyed it because the songs, I was hearing quite a few of the songs for the first time. Mm. I really enjoyed the songs. I really enjoyed the lyrics. I thought the atmosphere in the crowd was great. I thought you guys nailed it. Um, and it reminded me of that, uh, the, the adage I used to use with my with my old band, I'd say, it, for me, if the gig was ninety five percent good, mm. I'd go home and cry into my pillow. Yeah, it was. It was only if it was a hundred percent good that I would feel okay. Um, however, the audience would quite happily put up with eighty percent. Yeah, and go home quite happy that they'd been treated to something rather wonderful, and they could pick out the bits that they enjoyed. It wasn't enough to convince me that that was okay, but I would try and comfort myself with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and I suspect that maybe your gig that night was, you know, was 90% okay. And I had a hundred percent great, you know, I had a great time. I, I enjoyed your gig. I think I, <laughs> I am sort of genuinely quite happy 
with a gig when I don't completely f- like forget what I'm doing I mean not that I do that often with gigs but I just assume I always assume I'm going to yeah this is specifically when I'm playing keys and singing at the same time right with singing what's the worst that can happen you forget a lyric you could just you could just kind of coast over it um Mm. but with playing I think that when it's my project and I'm Mm. the the keys really are holding the whole tune together and if I stop playing then there isn't really anything you know (laughs) there's not much of a tune uh that's just that just induces a lot of fear well I've entered into that realm recently because I've introduced a lot more technology onto my show and and my stage stuff and um I I had the same utter nightmare I used to you know knowing that I had to press a drum machine at a certain time or do these bits and pieces I um I had a horrible time because I was engaging back to Ian McGilchrist again I was engaging right hand brain to deal with this yes. stuff and and I couldn't relax I couldn't enjoy it and I just felt that therefore no one was enjoying a single thing because I wasn't yeah. um probably not true but it still it still inspired me to try and get rid of that somehow and I I I, I, I don't know whether I came to a conclusion about that whether it was just that I, I needed more practice doing those things so they became second nature probably mm, that yeah um but I'm always trying to get that, that space where I walk out and I kind of don't know what's going to happen isn't that I mean that's peculiar anyone would think that was peculiar I was walking along the road with a, a, a I live in a village and I and I was walking along the road with somebody who worked at Nestle or something mm. just just uh, not so long ago and they said they had a speech to to give on Monday and they'd written it down meticulously and I and I said well I'd probably just go in there and just start talking and, and he, he had a whiteout <laughs> yeah he had a whiteout like how on earth do you do that and I suppose years of accessing that feeling where it's just you you feel that freedom and you enjoy it and you actually flourish in it yeah Mm. What? And I and I think when when you're playing and singing, you're immediately accessing something that needs to be structured. Yeah, that you're so right. The the mm. the multitasking element of it just means mm. it's that bit harder to get into a really fluid, free flowing kind of state. I just wanted to now, as as a parting shot, I just wanted to talk about this collection of material now. Uh, that you are on the cusp of of recording and and completing say um i i kind of i i suppose i'm trying to find the essence of what it is about that you say you've been free flowing and and you've been uh you've been accessing a side that you've been wanting to access for a long time what do, what do you feel you're saying are you saying within those songs are you talking about yourself in this collection of songs or is this a guys are you you know Holly J, Holly B, Holly V, Holly W. <laughs> Are you something else? Are you? Uh, no. <laughs> no. I, 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 I wouldn't know how to approach that. I, I love the, I love the idea of that um, becoming. Well, of being, of being an alternative person for something. Yeah, taking on yeah. A, a different persona and having an, an alter ego. That that's great i would i'd love to do that but i i mean it's taken me this long to figure out how to just be myself yeah so um yeah which is entirely which is entirely valid and an entirely uh, that that is, that is one perfectly acceptable way of approaching uh, art and many many have done that and then many have done the opposite mm. they're both completely valid and and i'm i'm like you i admire i'm just like um What's Beyonce? She goes out as Lady something, doesn't she? What's her? What's oh, her um, what, what is that? Oh, it's Sasha yeah. Fierce. Sasha Fierce. Yeah, I mean, I, I really that that's obviously empowering to her, and she can go out and just be that person and and can channel so much, yeah, and not and to be free of herself. And maybe you know that would be a luxury, a glory to be free of mm. the constraints of who we are. And it and it harks back to what we were saying about playing soul music. Maybe if you could be a completely different persona, you could get away. You could excuse yourself for going down a certain avenue. You could explore it. Yeah, that would be a lovely thing. But, However, but you see, I, I, I think that's completely true, and I think I do indulge that in write in my writing, and and I'm trying to do that, and have, and yeah, if I seem to be writing a soul song, like ha- let's let's go all in, let's see where this goes. If I try and take myself out of the equation 
but then then I start creeping back in again into back into the equation later when once the songs already start to take shape and I guess with the lyrics, then then it, I, it starts to be more because um, you know you, if you have to deliver these words, they mm. they really have to feel. You know, it feels like a manifesto sometimes. You, they really have mm. to feel authentic, and so so I think it can be a useful tool to kind of indulge yeah. different because we're all multifaceted and there's we all have different versions of ourselves and so i think it's hel- helpful to indulge them all um i mean I, I was fascinated to find out that joni mitchell actually was writing about other things or just m- seemed to be writing about stories just stories that she invented in her head really uh, and i and i think everyone was very disappointed with that <laughs> because they have this idea that joni joni mitchell is this is everything that she sings mm. about and i she sort of went well no i'm not really i'm as you know, it's just like my paintings, really. It's not. It's not nothing to do with me. It's just a, a tale or a, an angle or a character. Yeah. Um. And I've never done that. I mean, I don't sing, but I, I've never, I've never operated under those rules. And 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 you haven't either. From what you're saying, it's just it has to be personal. It has to become from you. Those lyrics have to be something, as you say, that you have to go out and deliver and believe in, and you have to back them up, don't you? Yeah. That's that's it. You have to believe in it. If you don't believe in it, I don't. I don't think other people will. Um, mm. And may you know, maybe it will change. I'm I'm interested to know what happens after this. You know, in the next era, um, mm. because maybe that would be a natural progression to then just start writing about other people's. You know, just starting inventing, inventing stories, but. Um, mm. For the moment, yeah, it's, it's all pretty. Well, I can't, I can't wait to hear it. Yay! I can't wait to hear your album. Oh, my album! The, oh, I'll send you my album. Thing. My album's done. Is it completely? <laughs> is it completely done? It's completely. Uh, it's completely done. Way ahead of schedule. I think it's out in November or something. So it's, it's way ahead. Of, um, but we'll be releasing sort of little things in in between. Um, and amazing. Well, it is, yeah, it, it is amazing, and and yet it's that's full of neurosis as well. I mean, I I I've been because there's a huge amount of time between this and release. I've had the I've had the opportunity to indulge myself in a way that I really don't enjoy. I've had, I've had the opportunity to go back and go. Oh, I think I might remaster that. Ooh, oh no, yeah. I think I might. And so I've been down that avenue, and of course, ultimately ended up back where I started. That that old crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And um, I then find that everything that I feel about myself is is interpreted, or rather, I, I listen to the album on one day and I go, if I don't like myself on that day, I hate every single note of yeah. it. Um, I mean, it's, it relates to what we're saying, really. But I, I, I just insist on dragging myself through this and not allowing myself to take over. I, there was one point where I was talking to my producer in Berlin and, and the mastering engineer and asking them to do certain things. And I was just apologizing left, right, and center Aww. for being such a diva and, a, you know, a, a, just a, a detail merchant yeah. and going, just please indulge me, please indulge me. I think I'm wrong, but please indulge yeah. me. And eventually I was wrong yeah. and <laughs> they indulged me, bless their heart, but it relied on their patience and trust a lot. Um, but we got there. Um, and um, I'm happy now, and I'm just going to leave it alone. And, and I, I desperately want to um, avoid listening to it anymore because I'm out the other. I mean, it's not demo itis as yeah. we talked about earlier. It's just I'm out the other side itis. It's like I'm oh, pleasing it. I saw Woody Allen interviewed on Wogan once, and that, or was it Parkinson? And they and, that, and they said, "Oh, look, we're going to show you a bit of Annie Hall." And he went, no, I can't watch. I'm just not going to really? watch because if I watch it, I'll go, oh, I should have lit that better. I should have had that person coming from the left, not the right. <laughs> I'm wearing the wrong sweatshirt. It's not great to go back over that old stuff. It doesn't really serve much purpose. No. And some days I fall into it and I play old stuff and I just detest everything I've ever done. And yeah. <laughs> because that's normal. It's you know, so that's normal. normal and it's so it's so easy to do. Um, mm. And... Year, I think it takes years and years to be able to listen back and sort of mm. take pity on your former self, you know, and listen back yeah. with compassion and sort of go, oh, you know, that's actually quite good. I don't know why I was so hard on myself at the time. 
Well, that's the beautiful moment, I think. And I think I think we're talking like maybe a decade or more at least, you yeah. know, but I think you you do get to that point. You listen back, you go, oh, you, you're actually quite, you're quite good, actually. Yeah. Aren't you? <laughs> you smashed it with that song. You're right. Yeah. And then you go, shit, I wish I'd enjoyed it at the time because, I, you know, I, I did, did nothing but self-loathe. Yeah. Um, well, you, and, but you do yeah. enjoy it in the very initial germination of it. You do. That you do. moment is so golden and that is why we keep coming back for more <laughs> we did you you did it to me uh where you sang over a track of mine bless you called joan i love and, it um and you sent me a little uh phone um demo of it and the moment i heard it i just went oh you've that's beautiful you've nailed that you it's i think i think i are all between us we decided we'd 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 give you the task of getting into the character of joan of arc yeah um and you did, and you and you 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 came up with this this beautiful perspective. I just I felt her pain. Everything about that, I did. I did love that piece, even if I do say so myself. Uh, the instrumentally, oh, it's, it's gorgeous. It felt, thank you, and it felt like pain. And then you added more pain in a sort of a strange, timeless retrospective, and it was it was gorgeous. And that moment, I can remember what I was doing. I was in my kitchen and i listened to it and i went oh everything's gonna be fine Aww. everything's gonna be great it's beautiful and we got it done and 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 you know sorry to sorry to, to send your your beautiful music into the same uh filing cabinet as mine but i now can't listen to it and won't listen to it probably yeah. because it's wrapped up in me and you yeah, and everything yeah, else yeah. i won't but i know i do know that it is beautiful and i and i also it helped to have you collaborate on it because it meant that I could at least 50% like it. That's that's so true as well, when you just slightly take the burden off yourself. Um, mm. And I really like it and even, you know, including my bit, and that's partly because you gave me this character. Um, mm. So Well, we've just been saying Yeah, so actually just about thinking about it, that, that I really enjoyed that and I didn't... Mm. Um, so maybe I just need a few more briefs. I just need someone to say this. Here's your character. But 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 it's interesting that 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 idea of her being a historical character, a re, a real character, chronicle. Yeah. You know that we have her on record. I mean, if you watch that Joan of Arc film, which I think I threw you away from 1926, it, it's based on the transcript. It's based on the, the actual transcript from the trial. R from um, the real historical. Yeah, I mean the guys who were taking the taking the the um the transcript at the time you know they they really did persecute her in that That's way and they did, and they, it is chilling horrific and boy does he capture that in that in that chilling film in uh so close up and those tears and i mean i think i told you at the time the director who was allowed to do those kind of things then the director had her kneel on on um gravel so that she cried more oh god <laughs> so the actress cried more. Yeah. um pretty harsh but um it's 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 interesting to find real characters to write about and that's what i found so poignant about that is that i think you highlighted and accentuated her pain um in a way that you couldn't had you invented a character from scratch perhaps totally and and actually yeah. i'm just going to contradict everything i said earlier but <laughs> but um it, it gives you permission to tap into to a pain that is is yours you know does you do possess but you it's kind of opens that door for you to do it and i and i i do i do think that sometimes the most truthful thing is the is the fictional account you know yeah. So I've just completely contradicted myself, but no, you haven't. No, you haven't, because I think I think that was a particular case in point, and I'd, I'd be quite interested to see you do an Anne Boleyn. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this could be a, like a historical series. Why don't you write write uh, write for the head as it falls to the ground? <laughs> That's a genius idea. You've planted the seed now. I'm going to go. <laughs> I want you to do a series just off the back of our little. I, I want you to go away and do your own series of historical characters. The wives from, from of Henry VIII <laughs> through the medium of song. <laughs> well, they'll sell it at Hampton Court. Yeah, I mean, it's perfect. <laughs> 
Well, it's been lovely talking to you, Holly, as always. Likewise. And uh, I'm sure we'll pick this up again uh, in person because these conversations go on all the time. With they're, us. they're going on till the end of time. So they are. And I always enjoy them. So <laughs> um, thanks for uh, being on this. My pleasure. Thanks to Holly Walker and thanks to you for listening. Please make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. 